Hello, good people. You are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I'm the host of the show. The guest on this episode is Juliana Funkhauser. I met her long ago when I first started working at Wellesley College in 2001. She left me a little note on my desk that said, Welcome to the cage, Jim Son. Had a little drawing of a cat face on it. We referenced the cage several times in this episode. The cage is, or was, the equipment checkout point in the photography and video area of the art department. I supervised this area, and Juliana was one of the students who worked for me. Since those days, G has been busy working in the gaming industry, in advertising, making art, and continuing her education. Always continuing her education. You'll soon hear about how much she actually does. She's constantly putting herself out there, and it's working for her. It's quite extraordinary. I feel like I should tell you that this one is full of deviations. It's fast-paced, and it jumps around. That said, all the jumps call back to something pertinent eventually. This is not by my design. It's mostly Juliana and her 12-cylinder brain working overtime. As chaotic as it may seem at first, I think you'll understand in the end that her entire career is the result of relentlessly exploring her passions. Her life, education, career, hobbies, and everything else are intertwined, and that's what this episode feels like. It's sort of its own organism, and it's not linear. Kind of like Pulp Fiction, but with less swearing and murder. Late in the episode, we glance over the subject of Gamergate without explanation or context. Sorry about that. If you don't know what it is, you should probably go to the Wikipedia page to get a quick overview. Basically, it was an organized misogynist harassment campaign against women in gaming. Very ugly stuff, and much more complicated than it sounds. I couldn't explain the whole thing here or anywhere else if I tried. It's just nasty. But for the most part, there's very little nasty stuff in this episode. It's a really fun one, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Juliana Funkhauser. My favorite toy was a recorder when I was a child. Like one of those little Fisher-Price tape recorder things with a microphone. There's one photo of me and my mom together where we're looking really cute and very young. And I'm in the frame of the photo. You could just see our faces, but when she took it out to clean the photo, I'm clutching that thing. It's my favorite toy. Huh. Yeah. I thought it was really, really funny. It's good that you started off talking about that mm -hmm. because then we can, we can come back to it. I don't actually even know what you're doing right now. I, all I know is that you are an artist who uses sound and you quit all your jobby jobs and went back to grad school. So before you say anything else, I'm going to do the intro. Juliana Funkhauser, it's always good to see you. It's awesome to see you too, Jim. I like to hear that. I've asked you here today because of the windy path you've taken to get to where you are. I actually don't even know what you're doing right now, but I know that you worked in gaming and that you worked for some fancy design place in Boston. And I also know that you stopped doing that to become a master of fine arts. You're like positive fun adventure lady. And the fact that you make changes like these and keep going makes me think that you are successful. Thanks for being on the show. And before we get into the what's and where's, perhaps you could tell me if you think of yourself as being successful. Ooh. Yeah, I do, actually. I feel successful. You get to determine that kind of thing on your own at the end of the day, I think. I think so, too. I mean, honestly, I have a lot of advantages in life, for sure. I've had a lot of good luck and good mentors and a lot of, you know, just like 
financial backing, emotional support, like all that kind of crap that helps people along on these things. But I've seen a lot of people who like do jack shit with that stuff too. <laughs> so have I. <laughs> they don't do anything. They're just like, ah. And you're like, dude, you just got to figure out what is successful for you. And I don't know if you're like 15 year old self isn't worshiping your like 40 year old <laughs> self, then what the hell are you doing with yourself? <laughs> That's a good question. Cause I'm pretty sure that my 15 year old self would not be pleased right now. <laughs> this is not what he envisioned. <laughs> I don't know what he envisioned, but it wasn't this. <laughs> I mean, he might think the podcast is kind of cool, but everything else, he, yeah, he would be dismayed. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't know. It's been a while since we've met up, Jim. I know. It's been a while. So we, you, we've all had change. <laughs> it's true. I don't know if I ever told this to you in those like many hours we would sit in the cage, but I used to have this secret dream harbored in my heart that my ultimate goal in life was just to be a not starving artist. Yeah, I'm sure we've had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would have told you that kind of thing. And uh, and I have definitely been successful at that. Yeah. I, I feel good about things. I mean, not that it's easy <laughs> or that it's come without a lot of work or like, I don't know, restraining yourself for the for the goal. But like I've been I'm doing it. It's it's strange because this year has been the year where I have definitely floated around more than I ever have in my life ever due to the pandemic literally not being able to make any kind of plan for like longer than like a week maybe at mm -hmm. some points i just always keep doing that weird thing that i do and i've had the most success i've been very busy <laughs> doing interviews like this i've been making art things i've been invited to present art things and give panel talks about art things at academic conferences and stuff so it's crazy because I'm actually doing the weird thing, the thing. All right. So what are you talking about when you have these conversations? I don't know what I you're know. doing right now. I know. It's so crazy. Here, let's step back. Let's like rewind a sec. So yeah. So yes, I feel successful, but now let's actually like fill in the gap here. Yeah. So just, you know, a gap or two here or there. We can, <laughs> we can bounce around. It's all good. Keeping it fresh. <laughs> Time is really strange in this uh, panini we're in right now. So... <laughs> I finished up a double master's degree from the San Francisco Art Institute in 2020. Spring of yeah. 2020, baby. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good stuff. Oh, wow. That was very special. Thank goodness that Animal Crossing had been released. <laughs> Look, I have it on right now. My friend from Germany just visited me. I've, I've never played that, but I've, I've been reading. Uh, do you know who Simon Hanselman is? <laughs> yeah. I've been reading his comics on online and I and I bought his his most recent book. Aww. The most recent book is it's based on a thing that he started in the beginning of COVID and one of the characters is obsessed with Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I yeah, I don't get it. But it's <laughs> I'm I'm going to refrain from talking about it more. I'm writing an essay about Animal Crossing. All right, cool. <laughs> for a, for an academic conference that focuses on video game music, those are out there. Oh my. Yeah. It's, our, it's my time. No, for real. I gave my thesis symposium talk. And then a day later, a friend called me up and said, hey, we, we just got one of those PPP loans and we're staffing up for our indie game studio. 
And I said, all right. He was asking if I knew anybody. And I said, well, I need a job. I know me. I need a job and I have lots of skills with the Z, dude. And I can do audio. And he's like, cool. I don't know. None of us know anything about audio. Can you run an audio team and do art things? And I'm like, yes. Also, I have two people we should hire for this team. So I like hired myself and then got a couple of friends from school hired to this mobile game company. We did that as contract work for six months. That is super cool. It was awesome. I was the creative director for, for a video game, like a mobile game startup for six months. What's the game or what's the company? The company's called Zelgor and the games are still, they're basically in pre-production still. So okay. we don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to play it anyway, but maybe I'm sure that somebody that listens to this is a gamer. If you're into outer space kid games, like... <laughs> One day they have like trial versions of them out for mobile. That was the money that got me through the pandemic and then layoffs happened. And so I was unemployed. But while I was unemployed and looking for jobs because the contract was ending. So I was looking for new jobs. Oh, and it was election year. Remember, I graduated in 04 from Wellesley and that was an election year. It's just hard. A lot of change like that going on. I just figured man, I'm just going to have to do a lot of things that make me really, really happy while I do a job hunt because this job hunt's going to be a real jerk. And I still have not gotten, um, I've gotten little commit, I've gotten cool, like I've even been paid. I got commissioned to do sound work for like an installation in North Adams. Oh, cool. Yeah. At like Mass Mocha. At, at a place near Mass Mocha. <laughs> uh, Mass Mocha adjacent. I know. We kept tagging Mass Mocha like, come check our <laughs> shit out, dude. Check out our work. <laughs> hey, we're coming for you, Mass Mocha. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. I've been doing, you know, like band album art covers and like people want soundscapes and things like that. So I've been doing those kind of things here and there. Who wants soundscapes? And what bands? I know. There's so many questions. You just keep bringing things up. And I know. these are questions that I didn't even have. I know. It's crazy. It's So, but yeah, I'm unemployed in Puerto Rico right now. I am apparently the executor for my, I'm like the one handling it all because my mom yeah. passed away. The bright side of that coin, if there can be any, is that I have a stable housing and a car for the first time in my life. I'm like, cool. Who wants to come to Puerto Rico? <laughs> I totally want to go to Puerto Rico. Whenever. All right. This is for real a plug for myself as a B&B owner. Okay. <laughs> right, right on. Right on. We're not open. Yeah. Because right now, because of Panini's danger, probably also like travel bans between countries. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Once this pandemic stuff blows over, this house is a, is set up to be a and b And I was like, I've always wanted to have a and b Like my secret, like domestic side has always just wanted to run a and b and serve people delicious treats and tea and stuff on the balcony. And now like literally that can happen. <laughs> I, I like all those things. So when you're ready, snacks on the balcony. We can talk more details about that later, but that's that's where I'm at. I am. I'm, I'm sorting stuff out in Puerto Rico. I got my master's, double master's in art and technology, surprising nobody, for the MFA. And then for the MA, I did history and theory of contemporary art. Nice. I had such a good time. That sounds great. But I'm just wondering what inspired you to go back to school? I, I know it's great. I, I've always wanted to go. I've just, I feel like that ship sailed and 
now I kind of don't want to go. I'm not going to say that I'm anti-grad school now, but I feel like it would be a, just a waste of my time and money at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. You had good jobs. I had an opening. Yes, I absolutely had an opening and I had the money to do it. And I got a little scholarship, too. And it was just like every single star aligned. I had told myself that if I got laid off one more time, I was going to just like take a summer off or something and paint. Yeah. Because I was tired (laughs) of being laid off from fancy jobs. Yeah. Because corporate life is hard. Sure. And I mean, it's just it's it's not that it's hard, but it's grueling in a way that just makes people like us want to poke our eyes out with sticks or something. So it's I was like, I need a break. And I have some money because severance monies. And during that summer, my mother was sick. But she had gone blind. What? There was at Massachusetts Eye and Ear, there was a doctor who had an experimental surgery who unblinded my mother. That is nuts. It was amazing. And I had always told myself in my heart, I was like, if I ever deal with blindness, I'm going to become a musician. And then I'm like, whoa, is this the prophecy I gave myself? Am I a musician now? Is this what's happening? It was crazy because she got unblinded. It was so it kind of worked out that I got laid off when I did because I got laid off. I was helping mom. You know, she was living with me while she was recovering from these surgeries in Massachusetts, In Massachusetts. I had been working at an advertising agency called Arnold in Boston. Yeah, that was the last time I hung out with you. You were still working there. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. It made me realize how much I miss working with my hands, you know, Mm -hmm. I love digital art and I love games and stuff, but like I had been working on artworks outside of work where I was making perfume for myself to like mixing (laughs) my own essential oil perfumes with like this local Boston witch person so that I could wear that perfume while I digitally painted at work. And I'm like, girl, you need to like go somewhere where you use your hand skills. And so I was in this print production department at Arnold and I loved it. I mean, first of all, it was like all the wild, you know, the old, old school people who just won't retire, who are like uh-huh. 70 year old wild madmen, you know, yeah. like they need old school. They don't even know what a computer is. Well, and the best part was that they did know what a computer was okay, and they cool. were <laughs> phenomenal at all of it, but they love, they needed somebody like me who could do the digital illustration and all this different stuff they just needed more yeah and i'm one of these like in the middle of people who could who's not afraid of picking up a knife and throwing the knife Mm -hmm. across the room and somebody will catch it because they know how to use their hands it was wonderful working with this like super old guard on the way out and i think that the company was changing and they didn't want that department anymore so i think that's kind of what was going on when i just got there they're like what if we have this extra dynamo young person maybe woman person and i don't know just I think they were just downsizing that department after a couple of years. And it worked out because my mom needed some extra help and I needed a break. I mean, I just needed to like paint for a summer. And I was so happy that summer. <laughs> I don't even yeah. usually paint. Painting's not usually my jam, but I just was like, I must paint. And I said, I'm so happy right now. And I do have some money because I've been doing nothing but working and saving money as much as possible for like a decade or more. Yeah. How, how long did you work at Arnold? I worked at Arnold for about a year and a half. That's it? It was so fast. Maybe two, it was like a year and a half, two years, something like that. Oh. And then I worked at, tur- at the, the game company was Turbine, got bought out by Warner Brothers. 
That's, yeah. Oh my God. But that was before Arnold, right? Mm-hmm. That was right yeah. before Arnold. I, there was only about a two month difference between the two. I was frustrated and I was looking for jobs outside of WB okay. towards the end of it. And so when they laid me off, I was already in like interview round two for Arnold. Yeah. So there was not a lot of time to sort of process working at a place for nine years and then suddenly just like corporate overlords taking over. Everything changed in a matter of a year or so. And then I don't know. It was that extreme. It was very, I mean, I told myself it's worth it to stick around to see what it's like to work for the man, like the Mm -hmm. man with capital, you know, the capital M. (laughs) Right. Um, And I, and now I know it was, it was a lot of things that we could go into later if corporate America can be kind of wild. So like, I don't know that we need to go into the details. We don't need to go into it. It's more important to me to know how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. And I think you just made that abundantly clear. It was like, this is going to be cool on my resume. And I think I need to not aspire to working in large blockbuster studios. Like a small independent studio or a development studio is more my jam. And and that's why it was interesting working at Arnold because I was like, these guys were known for being really maverick. <laughs> like they were the most wild of the four top ad agencies in Boston. They were like kind of the weirdos. All right. I really I felt like I fit in there, but there were parts of it where I didn't really fit in at all. So it was like, OK, I had been headhunted a ton by educators, by people working in high schools, tutoring some colleges around Massachusetts. Like I would take for fun. Sometimes I would take a class at MassArt after hours, you know, or do the adult ed stuff. Once a year, I would either attend an industry conference or a conference of something that's interesting to me, or I would contribute to an exhibition or two. And or I would try to be involved in art spaces that are using game structures but for art and that kind of stuff sure and sometimes i would just take a class because i like art classes you know it's like for fun and while i would take the class the teacher would be like hey can i just recruit you to be in my department at leslie university and i'm like (laughs) all right fine (laughs) i was like well i mean i am interested and i ended up mentoring a lot of people and tutor like teaching a lot of people stuff for the game company we had proprietary tools the mm-hmm. game engine was a was like an in-house thing. Oh, okay. I got really good at using that thing. It did not have a manual or forums to, you know, to like ask people questions about how to use it. It was, I'd just been there so long and I was interested in game development. In an attempt to try and become a game level designer, I just learned the hell out of that tool. And then I ended up teaching a lot of people the tool and they became designers, but I never became a designer. Okay. I just made my own department. We were the in-game studio photography department i feel like we've talked about this before (laughs) i say i'm a wizard photographer because that's what i did for like six years i was a wizard photographer oh right because it because it it was uh lord of the rings right Mm -hmm. yeah they did that's pretty big title it was really cool it was lord of the rings and dungeons and dragons oh dungeons and dragons too right it was lord of the rings online and dungeons and dragons online and i just would dress these little wizard people up and pose them and then make special effects happen it was just like studio photography except digital so i was a little digital magic person wow i don't know photographer it was cool all right so how does that position you for the metaverse economy oh my gosh I I am simultaneously horrified and also really excited. 
I think that that realization that part of me was wasting away a little bit, always being in the digital. Yeah. I was craving physicality and the concerts that I would go to would get more and more extreme, extreme power electronics, you know, where like uh-huh. the vibrations are going through you and it's really insane. And it's all about the weird noises and the vibrations and auto acoustics and stuff. Yeah. The word digital comes from digits from your fingers, you know? So, like, this idea that we can completely divide our mind from our bodies is silly enlightenment stuff. I realize most of Western civilization is based on this idea that I think, therefore, I am. But, like, we're still bodies with things, and it's all connected. And I wanted to explore that more. All of these things combined that I just described to you led me to realize I should probably go study this stuff at an art school specifically, given how many people are asking me to teach and then suddenly going, oh, but you don't have a master's degree. I was like, dude, I have the money if I can get a scholarship or two, you know, and I have the time right now. I'm in a moment where I'm not going to have to leave a job. I already got let go. I was 35. I was like, dude, I'm not going to want to do this after 40. No. So it's like now or never. I think I was 34 or 35, and I was like, if I do this now, this is the perfect time. I applied to a bunch of jobs, and I applied to three schools. I got interviews. Like, I went and met Phil Tippett. Dude. I went to his special effects dungeon, (laughs) and I met him, and he's like, what do you want? I'm like, I want to work for you. (laughs) He's like, I don't have people who are digital wizard picture makers right now, okay? Like, we... So I said, okay, fine. But yeah, I got accepted at two schools. And one of the schools told me, oh my God, if you get accepted at the other school, go there and then call us. That's what's happening now. What I liked about those schools, like MassArt said this, they're like, we love you. However, we don't have what you want here. Yeah. And Leslie University was ramping up their digital media department stuff. And I was like, I love what you guys are doing. Oh my gosh. And they're like, yeah, but if you have, if you get a chance to go to California, you just go. You got to do it. I got to do it. So I'd always kind of dreamed about living in San Francisco at some point, too. So, But you only lived there for the program. I was there four years, three years nice. for the program, and then one pandemic year. <laughs> and then right back to, to Massachusetts. I wasn't really going to be able to like afford to stay there, right? With no job. Yeah, yeah, I guess not. Some of my friends were literally homeless because they were evicted. They left. A ton of my friends who were longtime California residents were leaving because of the fires and stuff. Like they were just like generations of Californians. We are just out of here. We're done. Bye. Mm -hmm. I felt like things were a lot less stable for me in San Francisco. And so I came back. I did my time away. It's just not working out over here for now. And we don't know when the pandemic is really going to really resolve itself. We really don't. I just don't. I don't trust. <laughs> I like, was like, I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> People get optimistic, but I'm not really that optimistic about it. I like reading about the European plagues, and those took a long time to shake out. My brother has been involved in NGOs that work in epidemics in like Africa, you know, and those mm-hmm. things just take time. It takes time. You can't rush this stuff. I don't think I'm being a pessimist. I'm just just be realistic. I think it's I, I think it's fair. Yeah. um, And I don't want to put myself and other people at risk. And I feel like I can kind of quarantine and be safer out here throughout this. 
Wow, I just lost my train of thought for a sec there. That is okay. We've already covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. (laughs) I don't even know where to go back to because there's a lot going on. I'm not sure what the timeline is. That was like a tree. That was not a timeline that we just heard. (laughs) Before I ask about timeline stuff, you were talking before about wanting some sort of a visceral experience and seeking that through music and art. And, you know, you're making your art, which is sound. We'll talk about that in a second. But you talked about going to performances Mm -hmm. and bands. Yeah. I don't know if you've listened to this before, but I always ask people the bands that they're listening to. So tell me about these body experience bands that you're going to see. I'm so excited that you asked me that. The first band where I ever felt that way was, do you remember the band Freeze Pop around Boston? Uh, yes, I know that I've heard them, but I honestly, I have, I have no mental picture. They are like a synth pop throwback, nostalgia band. It sounds like it is bouncy. It's colorful. It's cute. I loved that the the, uh, the front woman would sing in Japanese occasionally. So it was very sweet and bubbly. Now, they were playing at the Middle East upstairs, I think around like 2003 or 2004. And they had all on the bill these other like new wavy but happy throwback bands. And there were like three opening acts in this concert. One of them was Mono. But instead of booking Mono from like Europe, which is ingenue, you know, like super dreamy pop, they booked Mono from Japan, (laughs) which is this like drone trio. You may have been the person that hipped me to them, Or maybe it was just like the same time. I don't know. I might have played that for you. Yeah, the one more step and you die. I mean, I would have played that for you because it was my mind was melted that day. Everybody in that room, there were three weirdos, four weirdos who (laughs) stayed in the room. And the entire Middle East upstairs was empty because they left because it was so insane. They were just like, this is weird and you know like freeze pop who was going on next was on the sideline and i could see the synth guy was like hell yeah and the other two were like what the hell just what is what are we doing oh no everybody left it was one of the funniest but also one of the most amazing experiences of my life because i said at the time mono it was a drummer and two guitarists and their hair was just flopping around and they sort of waved around in sync and it was so intense you could feel the vibrations all up in your like elbow and your stomach and your spleen and and it was so crazy what they were doing up there and it was very beautiful and kind of sad it was like the complete opposite of new wave retro <laughs> and i was like literally i love this i need more so mono i love mono i love uh the last band i went to see that was like that was sun yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) those guys rule just giant fat chords (laughs) big brave opened for them and then the front woman for big brave they also do like sludgy slow okay drone. yeah i'm unfamiliar but has, that's all right i'll, I'll look them up because yeah, that's what i do big brave well they just re- they just recorded during the pandemic at machines with magnets which is down near Providence. you know it's down in Pawtucket. Mm-hmm. oh man so big brave sun 
<laughs> there's this band called Sludge Slug. I call them Slugug, but it's like Slug Udge. It's Sludge. Slug. <laughs> they just right. they're like a doom metal, but I don't know, like a Sludge or doom metal band that just sings about the life of slugs and ecological collapse and stuff. It's very it's intense. That sounds uh, very inspired. <laughs> inspired by something. <laughs> So there's this whole synthwave thing started now. Hilarious. These people in Europe making all this. They have like their cover art all looks like drawings of like Motley Crue band covers. But the sound sounds like video game boss music John Carpenter soundtracks. Oh. So, you know, they're just like rocking Prophet Fives and Moog's subsequent seven, 37s making all this soundtracks to like 70s sci-fi movies that should okay, really... so, well, so what are they called because i have no idea what you're talking Dude, about carpenter brute carpenter what carpenter brute <laughs> i think there's an umlaut i call the oot and like perturbator say it again perturbator perturbator perturbators in paris he's fan jack kent does he has like about ten thousand different projects here he was a doom metal guy in the beginning, but like he has another project. I can't pronounce French stuff, but like L'Enfant de la Forêt. It's all, it's like noise rock. It's really, really noise metal. It's so good. All right, cool. I'll send you, I'll send you some links later, but send I like. Send me a playlist. Jack Kent does lots of cool stuff. Check his work out. Oh, and all, author and Punisher. Check that dude out. He's awesome. <laughs> All right. He's he's a machinist and he makes his own noise weapons. <laughs> weapons, he calls them. I don't know, know if he calls them weapons, but they're definitely like doomy. And he, he looks like he hops into this mecha thing and it's like, and he's like a one man, like doom sludge metal dude. He's awesome. That sounds pretty cool. But how, so how does this relate to you and the type of art that you're making? Tell me, tell me about your art. I'll tell you about my art. So there I was in critiques in grad school with real artists. Yeah, you were. Oh, did you yeah. Read, did you read Lacan? <laughs> Absolutely. Derrida? Oh, show me your Derrida. Ooh la la. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that diversion. I never went to grad school, but these are the names that I hear about from my grad school friends, which are all of my friends, basically. Foucault. Well, some of my favorite theorists who I learned about were Pauline Oliveros. Okay. And Paul Virilio, which I think you should read some Paul Virilio if you haven't. It is very up your alley, Jim. I will definitely investigate. I don't know if I'm going to get around to reading it, though. I have I have a little bit of a list at the moment, but I will eventually. That is fine. Well, so there I was in these crits, and it was interesting because I had this epiphany also when I was working in the game company that one day I just looked around and I looked at all these different images. We were producing hundreds of images a month, you know, yeah. of like orc battles and hobbits dying and... <laughs> Yes, of course. Poor ponies all over the place. And I was like, dude, Lord of the Rings is about like delivering pies on ponies and hobbits gossiping. Like, let's be real here. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the women in Germany who play this game are just delivering pies while riding ponies through Middle Earth. Word. Why are we making pictures of orcs raiding the Shire nonstop? I just said, I don't want to make battle pictures anymore. I'm tired of this. Bakery. 
bakery pictures, caves, happy places. I started using that 3D development tool to build happy spaces for myself uh-huh. that I would teleport to when I was waiting for jobs to happen or like <laughs> waiting for crits to come from marketing department. Just hanging out there in the metaverse. I would just hang out there in my little fake cave, right? Yeah. And I was like, I want to do something with this, but I don't know what. I would be showing pictures of these shots in my crits and being like, you know, this is my background. You asked me to tell you about my background and this is kind of what's in my head. It's like full up into my head right now. And the other thing I do is make perfume to make myself feel something because I'm too stuck in the metaverse, man. And they're like, Juliana, what do you really do? You should take a sound art class because you're constantly talking about collaborating with other artists as if you want to make a band. You are constantly referring to things as musical or like as a sound. You know, I, it turns out I have synesthesia. Mm. Certain things, certain color combinations, when it's an overwhelming amount, cause me to hear things. So all this time I spent going to concerts around Boston, taking photos nonstop, trying to just like capture that. I think that was me trying to like figure out how to express the synesthesia. So I made some animation paintings, but there was one that I did that the last frame, I knew it was done because the last version of it that I made, every time I looked at it, I heard sound. I heard like the swell of a concerto ending. That's crazy. And I was like, what? is this synesthesia <laughs> what like what is this i need to talk to more art people and figure this is out is this self diagnosed or is this something someone's like yeah this is what's happening it's self diagnosed it's crazy because the i i looked in my journals after that happened and i noticed i've been doing this forever i always have heard things when i see certain color combinations you don't know any difference so you wouldn't know that that's not what everybody else is going through yeah that whole thing where people say oh i feel so uncomfortable when i don't have music playing and i'm like well there's always like a dance party in my head so like i don't know guys i don't know what to say <laughs> trying to express that i was like oh we should take an a sound art class. I had been in Boston taking like rock singing metal and rock singing lessons from Ajda Schneider, who is the front woman for Black Fortress of Opium. Sounds like a cheery, cheery group. It's a cool group. They do like turkey. They're super into freeze pop. <laughs> well, like, they were playing. They were playing out there with like human wine and and um, I don't know. They're kind of like metal, but also Turkish. She plays mandolin. Oh, okay. Oh, that's that sounds pretty cool. But sings metal, and then the these dudes on their guitars being all virtuoso. It's very. I liked it. I was like, dude, metal and Turkish music, and kind of country. That's very her. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I was like, when she announced she was doing singing lessons, I was like, uh, I want to do singing lessons with you. Sign me up. Yeah. So I was like, I didn't know sound art was a thing. Okay, I just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Then I started taking sound art classes. I went to Documenta and the Venice Biennale and Munster Sculpture Project as one of the classes at the school. All three of those things were happening at once in Europe. And my That's insane. Yeah, my Spanish brother was getting married that summer. So I was like, what class can I do so that I can be in Europe that summer? And I was like, oh, my God. This is a no-brainer. This is insane. And I had no idea what I was signing up for. I'd never heard of Documenta in my life. Uh Uh-huh. I'd never... And I mind was completely blown then it turns out the sound art one of the sound artists who blew my mind was my teacher no way the next semester and i was like are you kidding me this is crazy and we hit it off so i learned a lot about sound art (laughs) i felt like there was a lot to catch up on but i'm glad i wasn't trying to do that in some kind of a music school 
had to be an art school. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it's a, it's not the right vibe. When I first moved to Boston, the guy that played guitar in the band that I was in in, in high school mm-hmm. was also going to Berkeley. So I would go over there and watch their performances, listen to their performances. And I went to parties in their dorms. It was weird. It was a weird vibe. Definitely different than art school. Not bad. It's it's, it's just, just different. Yeah. It's so different. <laughs> yeah. I liked um what I liked at SFAI was there were sound artists, there were painters, there were photographers, there were collage people, there were textile fabric people. So everybody was a mishmash. You got a lot of takes about what you were doing. So, I mean, sometimes it was frustrating, but I think mostly it was kind of fun. The sound projects that I ended up doing at SFAI and outside were, I made <laughs> I made wearables. I made like costumes that I would dress up in and then there would be hid speakers hidden in like wigs and things. Right. <laughs> I would like walk into my friend's art opening and they would have a pirate radio and everybody would hear it from the downstairs when I was walking up the stairs, like that kind of stuff. You could hear electromagnetic waves from things like neon signs if I got close enough to them. Yeah. It was like having a weird antenna where I could feel the vibrations of things around me. (laughs) Well, I learned how to do multi-channel art installations where we would have multi-channel sound art installations where we would have speakers around a room mm-hmm. you know and and like it would lead you through us like having multiple speakers could have different things playing and then those things could lead you through a space if there was some kind of a story or like an ambiance and you wanted scary things to have it's like spooky house or fun house or is this a digitally processed thing or is is there some kind of an analog management system? Sometimes we do some analog and sometimes we do digital, but it was digitally driven. So yeah. we used, a, we used a, a programming environment called Max. It used to be called Max oh, yeah. MSP. Those guys then made Pure Data, which is the free version. Okay, I didn't know that one, but I've definitely heard of Max MSP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we learned Max and I dropped computer science at Wellesley. Because I didn't want to do it anymore, but I had to do scripting for my job for years. And so, like, I I had, like, a basic level coding. And when we picked up Mac, it's, like, a visual version. Max uses modular synthesizer pictures to imitate what it does. Autoacoustics is its own field of study. And we weren't getting into the science of that, but there are definitely a couple artists. You know, there's, like, Marianne Emache was really into that kind of stuff. and. I was researching her. Yeah, I just got I got into that kind of stuff. And that ties it back to the bands because I was like, this is how the bands do that. They like listen to the room and they use certain frequencies and they, you know, with Max, you can sort of access any frequency you want because it's all just digital. And I didn't I'd never used a synthesizer before ever. So I didn't know <laughs> like what the reference was. I just knew that I'd seen people do it. So I yep. f- faked it enough that people were like, wow, you really know. I'm like, I, I just like making sounds, guys. Then I would I would do like different kinds of exhibits dealing with different kinds of topics. Sometimes it was like, how do we change this room to make it a happy room for somebody who has extreme sensitivity to noise or are deaf? Oh, And certain kinds of noise activity makes places inaccessible to them. Because of vibrations. Mm -hmm, Because the vibrations are too overwhelming. There was a gallery, the Diego Rivera Gallery at SFAI was built for painting and sculptures, right? It's cool because it looks like a church. It looks like a little chapel inside a, like at the side of a courtyard that looks like it's an old 
monastery or something, but it was never a monastery. It was always an art school. And that room was always meant to show sculpture and painting. But when you go in there, because it's got that big, high church situation, you know, like super tall ceiling, when there's a ton of people talking in there, they don't even have to be talking very loudly. The sound bounces around so much that my friend who is deaf, she can only hear really, really low frequencies and super duper duper high frequencies. The sort of average human hearing range is inaccessible to her. Yeah. But in a place where sound gets amplified and messed around with like that, she just can't go in there if there's a lot of people talking. So we made a sound art installation in that place where we, we manipulated the sound in the area in, in different ways, in such a way that it made people conscious of what they were listening to while they went in there. We didn't even have to put a sign up saying like, please be quiet. There's a sound installation. People just animals would go in there to like vibe so what is going on in this place yoga people would go and like meditate in there it was awesome that is super cool it was cool it was cool there was one homeless dude who who hung around the school he just would go and take naps in there because it was chill Mm. it was it was like a peaceful place for once a lot of big rooms like that have problems with bass yeah i can see how manipulating it to be pleasant would be Something that you wouldn't necessarily think of until you actually experience and then think, wow, this feels really good. Yeah, it was it was nice, too, because we didn't really, you know, we added some elements in thinking about the space. It was crazy because we didn't know if it was going to work or not. It was kind of a guess, right? Because, like, nobody knew this stuff. We, we spent so long examining the space and figuring out how to spec it out that we did we did like a digital model of it kind of spec'd it out and then just built the things and it worked it worked it was really cool nice it's like there's a trick where if people are yelling or shouting and you want to get their attention you speak softly oh and everybody will like it's like that yeah it it works it worked in that gallery it was cool so we did anything from like that kind of thing to um i don't know i did some like conceptual like multi-movement story stuff you i was always into doing like story things and comics right and so like when you're doing sound it's got time so you can do story stuff too i did some of that about like hurricane maria and things like that word up yeah are you doing any video game related stuff now or do you still think about that or is that something you want to revisit i do well apart from being completely hooked on animal crossing right now yeah i am looking at programs in universities that offer like game development programs i'm developing a like history of game development semester survey kind of thing to teach yeah to teach okay i also like to use video game tropes to help teach things because even my professors all have played games now, right? I have notes here. Mm. You can't see it. I'll read it. (laughs) Is the great artistic expression of our time video games? (laughs) Or is it prestige TV? Or is it TikTok? I think memes is the greatest. uh, Memes memes. is what it is? (laughs) Memes. All right. It's kind of a joke because you you have, first of all, calling it prestige TV is kind of funny at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Shows who I am. But <laughs> at a certain point, some of the most creative people in, in society would have been writing literature or carving things on giant golden doors. <laughs> it's true. And then, you know, in another time, maybe they were defining what cinema was. Mm-hmm. And in another era, they are making video games and memes. Yeah. Do, do you feel like you fit into that somehow? 
like uh, as a <laughs> it's just part of your experience. I, I, I guess do. That's, a, that's just kind of a stupid question. It's I'd like, not a stupid question. <laughs> that's a cool question, Jim. Is it? <laughs> I like that question because you're framing. I mean, I feel like I've been on the bleeding edge of that. Sometimes being dragged under by the undertow and other times surfing very deftly, <laughs> not even realizing I'm on the edge of it. This is part of what I'm incorporating into this class I'm developing is I think that I have lived through the transition. If we're talking about cinema, you know, there was cinema with the technology, with the nerds who were doing the thing. And then there were studios and then there was video. Yeah. And there's convulsions between the two. But the moment the home video hits, you get a whole new America's funniest home videos is is memes. You know what I mean? Or TikTok dances like everybody can make their own and share it instantly now. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. And I personally, I love that in about 2010 to 11 or 12, there are these game development tools that came out for free. That allowed everybody and their mom who had a computer and an internet connection to be able to just figure out how to make their own games. Yeah. That's around the time that cell phones were being in everybody's pocket for better or for worse. This means that people who couldn't be game makers before were being game makers now. And it's funny because, like, I don't like Maroon 5. I mean, their music's catchy, but they're not my jam. Adam Levine said that nobody does bands anymore kids don't make bands anymore and i'm like adam mm -hmm. what you're not realizing is that so many kids are gathering together to be video game developers they hang out in minecraft or roblox or whatever it is the game or like making maps for like the shooter games they're hanging out making game worlds for each other to share mm -hmm. you know or to play on each other's phones or just as an art thing to weird people out or as a background for a VJ and you're in your weird digital music set and you're sharing it on Twitch or whatever. I think for better or for worse, it's like that 2000 sort of 2010s opened this floodgates for lots of people to make their own games the way they want to. Everything flipped for games. And I lived through that. It was tumultuous right. and weird and you could feel it. Things were changing a lot because the economy was kind of blowing up and the aftershocks of 2008 were just blowing a lot of things up in so many directions. I feel like I rode that wave. <laughs> Eventually, I fell right off the surfboard. But I, and, and, you know, and I'm enjoying games as a gamer now. Harvard called me up. People at Harvard were like, hey, you worked in games. Can you help us consult on a video game exhibition where we're investigating violence against women and minorities? And I was like, are we calling them minorities still, guys? Like, <laughs> like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, Come on, Radcliffe, do better. No, they were they were very sweet. They, you know, so like people started calling me up to talk about things and get me to like help curate exhibitions and things like that. And I was like, you know, I'm participating as a critical person now which is cool yeah you know because like there are people out there on youtube who were doing the same for the first time in a long time and it was very cool 2005 is when youtube started and soon after that people who weren't talking on g4 tv or they weren't in a at e3 or gdc game developer conference people who weren't invited or able to access those spaces were able to talk about games and comment on it and it just opened the floodgates certainly which i think is like it's been 
scary and tumultuous, but it's also like things have changed and it's very, I don't know. I'm excited by it. Some of it's been very violent and weird, (laughs) but it was always violent and weird in its own way. I'm just aware of the very basic headlines of the, the whole situation particularly Gamergate and that stuff. I know that it was happening and I I don't understand the motivations of people who want to make a big deal out of women in video games. (laughs) I know. I mean, I also kind of think that part of it was people taking advantage of media outlets being so open. Yeah. And traditional media outlets putting up paywalls, Uh, trying to desperately stay in business. And so then new propaganda machines that nobody ever could have anticipated were being tested. Sure. In that. Gamergate campaign. I mean, literally some of the same people who were like fomenting hate during that were the ones who fomented hate enough to get our last president elected. So, oh, yeah, they got appointed in positions in government. And I was like, I think that whole thing was a test by manipulative people with some money. It was the beta. And yeah, I know for real the beta in games. I mean, I don't know. That's <laughs> that's my tinfoil hat side speaking, and also me from the inside going. If this is real, if this is where media is going, I love mass media and communication. I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff. This is where it's going, and people aren't vigilant. There is going to be a lot of chaos. Ah. Yeah, I mean, every generation has their challenges. (laughs) True facts, true facts. No, it's not like I want the internet to get unplugged or Google to go away or anything. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so many good things that have... So WhatsApp, for example. It's funny that you mentioned that everybody, like a lot of people use WhatsApp over there. I use it with my family. Everybody, not a lot of people, every single person. Everybody in Europe uses WhatsApp. Everybody in my family, when Hurricane Maria happened and there was no electricity for like nearly a year in certain places. Yeah. Some, in some places in the mountains here, there's still no electricity four years later. Damn. Dude, it's solar power happening up here. People were driving onto the highway to find the Google balloon and parking under the... Oh, no To way. park under the Google balloon. That is awesome. So that they could WhatsApp each other or Facebook each other. And that's why I never left Facebook. Because I was like, if this is the only way, because the telephones are busted yeah. and the other things, the other, the other way that we communicated was through radio. No way. My uncle has... He's got like a ham radio. He's got a huge radio tower here. And then the Arecibo radio telescope hadn't fallen apart yet. So we were communicating on radio. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, of course I'm into sound. I don't know. I've been surrounded by that stuff. I didn't realize how it affected me, you know, until I like investigated it in school. And I was like, I do care about sound and music all like so much. (laughs) Like that's how I describe things. When I first started doing this, the premise was that I never figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I kind of started by asking people to send me clips of them saying what they wanted to be Mm -hmm. when they were a kid and what they are now. And I think it's really great that you started out talking about the Fisher Price tape recorder and then going into crazy sound art by way of all the digital mastermind pieces, things of the past 20, 30 years. Yeah. And MMO spaces, right? You have sound nodes and they, you know, you're writing compositions that are like, they're not linear, you know, and I'm going to interrupt just for a mm-hmm. second. You just use a term that I know for a fact a lot of people are not going to understand. <laughs> Please tell people what MMO is. Right. An MMO is a massive multiplayer online game. 
it's almost an obscure term at this point because it's different kinds of do different kinds of games are the thing now but oh, okay mmos the massive multiplayer online games are you know are those online games where there's a 3d space and you have multiple sound spots helping you drive the drama or give ambiance to a space it's just like a sound art installation in a lot of ways except that the physics yeah. doesn't apply because it's fake digital physics <laughs> yeah yeah you don't get that gut feeling or you know whatever in your head whatever yeah Unless you're with a really insane speaker system and the sound designers were crazy and they added that kind of stuff in there, yeah. which some of them do. They'll do, you know, they'll program their whole soundscape to Dolby, you know, like a 5.1 or something. So you can feel yeah, um, that kind of stuff sometimes. Not every nerd is that lucky. <laughs> I don't even know how many people are into like having 5.1 or 7.1 systems in their house. And I'm not particularly interested in home theater. If I had a dedicated room, I think it would be awesome. But I, I don't have any desire to do that in my living room. And plus, you know, I hate to be that guy who says, oh, my wife won't let me. But seriously, my she's not going to let me put seven speakers in the living room. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but when you are in a room like the, in the, what is it? The, the place at Wellesley, the. Yes. The cave, the, what was it called? The, the well, well. The well. The Pendleton it's well. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Or like an IMAX theater. It's awesome. Sure, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's great. I went and saw Dune at the IMAX. I was like, yeah. yeah. I saw it at the IMAX and not at the IMAX. And they really, like the sound engineers had a field day with that. I also saw the 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 new, the new, the new, the newest Blade Runner movie, what uh, Blade Runner 1949 or <laughs> 2049 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm so glad I saw that in the theater because the sound is so good. It was good. so good. It's just so good. It's it so really, really, really. I'm not even sure I liked the movie, but because of the sound, I left there thinking that was awesome. It was like going to an amazing concert, right? Yeah, it was so good. I mean, I know sometimes people don't like to know what makes the thing magical, but I love learning about that because then I can make my own weird magical, like... You can make your own magic. You know, you can make your own, like, soundscapes at home or you can... I mean, just knowing that you can do it and then even without a 5.1 system, how you can manipulate your own, like, little cheaper things around you and then, like, fix it for your car... You can make it work outside of having the fancy sound system by just using the acoustics of a room. My MFA thesis, when I was presenting it, I didn't get the equipment that I needed. Because they're like, oh, yeah, you can just get the equipment at, the, at the, the building. They didn't have it available and they wouldn't let me check it out until last. Yeah, you know, I had like three days to figure it out. And then it turned out it wasn't four speakers. It was two stereo things. It wasn't the right equipment, and I wasn't going to be able to play four separate things. I used the acoustics of the room <laughs> to, to simulate four channels. I almost, almost tricked my professor. Nice. And then he noticed that I was playing it off of a stereo thing, and he's like, Well done. You figured it out. You positioned these chairs here so that we would think it's quadraphonic. And I'm like, and that's at that point I snapped and I was like, I haven't slept in four days. I've been sleeping in this room to figure out the noises. <laughs> I think that's amazing that, you know, you go into a church or something and you can, I mean, that's why they build churches that way. Oh yeah. When you go into 
a cathedral mm. and there's someone playing the organ. It's the greatest. It's the greatest. You don't need amplification in there because that's what the building is made for. Oh, it's so good. You can hear a whisper from the other side. It's so beautiful. It's like, it's so cool. And churches these days, you can just walk into. When you were in Boston, did you ever go to the Maparium? Yes. At the, the Christian Science Monitor? Yes. It's amazing. Talk about acoustically crazy. Crazy in there. You can whisper in the side. It's so good. And then they hear you really loud at the other it's side. It's so good. There's a place <laughs> in Grand Central Station that's like that too. Oh, yeah? There's, there's one little arcade where you can push your face into the corner and somebody at the other corner of that whole huge hallway can hear you if you whisper. That's super cool. For that, for that installation I was telling you about where we were trying to manipulate the space. We built like a five foot parabolic dish. Oh yeah, nice. Out of like steel. I learned how to weld so that I could build this dish. We calculated it so that it would be as big as it could be and still fit in the door. And then we hung it up on the wall and you could poke your head into that thing and whisper. And my friend who was deaf could hear if you whispered. She could hear everything you said because usually she lip reads to hear you, but she could actually use that thing to hear. So she should just carry it around with her in a wheelbarrow or oh something. Oh my God, that thing. It was, it actually gave her, we didn't treat it properly and it rusted. Oh no. And she was allergic to it. So we had to like give it a farewell. Oh, sadness. But it was the fun. It was fun. We had a lot of fun with that stuff. So there's so much you can do. So I have zero regrets about grad school. It was exactly the right time, exactly the right thing to do. I know the job things to make the bills paid will come. It's okay. I'm not really sure what we've been talking about. (laughs) I know what we've been talking about, but this is why I think that you're a successful person. To use your terminology, you ride these waves. Yeah. You do these things that you have physical and passionate reactions about going back to grad school, working on these things, having deaf people experience sounds. I've always thought of you as this very positive person. There have been a few times over the years where I've seen you maybe sad or upset, but you always sort of have perspective. You, you seem like a very well-grounded person. I don't know if that's like a learned skill or a coping mechanism or if you're just that way, but it's something that I feel like I could learn from. Any, I feel like anyone could learn from. It's a very admirable quality. I don't know that we can follow your example through the stories we just heard (laughs) because it was all over the place. And maybe that's my fault because I'm the host and I couldn't wrangle you. (laughs) But I think that I think this was a good episode. Thanks. I had a lot of fun. Good. I love I love talking with you. I love talking to you. This is just like this is just like hanging out at the cage and like laughing over music. Like literally, this is what we used to do. Indeed. The time would pass so quickly. Yes. At that job. You were my first boss, Jim. You know that? I think you mentioned that. You didn't have a job in high school? I mean, I, I babysat. I don't know if the babies were my boss, though. I think it's funny thinking of myself as having been your boss. I actually asked, uh, do you remember Christina Willis? Yes. If you look at her profile on LinkedIn, it says laser scientist. (laughs) And technically I was her boss. (laughs) Kate Erickson writes for TV. All the TV. (laughs) I was her boss. 
<laughs> What's that all about? I'm an unemployed <laughs> middle-aged guy. <laughs> so, yeah. You're an artist, Jim. I don't know that I am. I, I have made some art, but I, I, don't know that, I don't know what I am. I don't know what I am, but I'm trying to figure it out. Right now, I'm a podcaster. Hell yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to say thank you for coming on. Thank you, Jim. This has been a pleasure. The pleasure has been mutual. That was Juliana. Quite a ride, right? I I think the general theme of this episode is action begets opportunity. You know, broadening your serendipity surface. It was pointed out to me recently that putting yourself out there and exposing yourself to the world isn't increasing your likelihood of serendipity. It's just networking. Perhaps that's true, and I don't have an argument, but I'm going to think about it and continue calling it the serendipity surface until I come up with another conclusion in my dusty old head. I envy Juliana's enthusiasm and energy, and I think it shines through in this episode. I'm thoroughly impressed, not only with the amount of things that she does, but just the fact that she does it. I'd also briefly like to point out my surprise when she was talking about the current state of Puerto Rico. She mentions that there are areas that are still struggling to get electricity and other basic infrastructure four freaking years after the elected leader of the United States government threw paper towels at the problem. Puerto Rico is part of the United States. This is disgraceful. I think it's funny that the aging and decrepit U.S. government spends so much time and effort trying to rein in the tech industry while the tech industry is actually showing them how to make infrastructure that works. I'm not suggesting that the tech industry is objectively good or acting selflessly, but it's pretty obvious that the government is neither of those things as well. No more soapbox. Thanks for being on the show, Juliana. It was really fun. And thank all of you for listening. I deeply appreciate all the time you spend with me, and I hope that you'll spend some more. You can find Juliana on Instagram at biodigitaljazzhands and at CTLT underscore sound, and on Twitter at (laughs) O-A-G-A-T-O-P-A-R-G-O. Thanks for making that one easy, Juliana. Her website has bio information and examples of her work. That's gfunkhauser.net. You can find Feel Free to Deviate on Instagram and Facebook at Feel Free to Deviate. Go there, like something, leave a comment, tell a friend. And feel free to visit feelfreetodeviate.com for more information. The next episode coming up in two weeks features Judith Black. She is a photographer and educator whose recent book Pleasant Street was one of the big photo book hits of the COVID lockdown. Thanks again for listening. Be excellent to each other. (laughs) 